Welcome to Catch the Fire London podcast. We hope as you listen to this message that you will encounter God's transforming presence. Um, and I would love now to welcome Henrietta to the front. If you could give her a warm round of applause. Here you go, sweetie. Um, I'm go- I just want to endorse this woman of God. She is a real treasure and real dear to mine and Dan's heart. She, she works for a beautiful organization called Open Doors, which she's gonna speak a little bit about today, um, which, which is there to support the persecuted church around the world. And Henrietta sees the, the depths of what people go to for in the name of Jesus and what they willingly, truly surrender and sacrifice. And she has given over her life to Jesus to, to serve him and to serve the church in its many forms around the world. And so why don't you just reach out your hand right now? And Lord, I ask that, would you bless Henrietta and Rick? <laughs> would you bless their household? Would you, would you fill them with the holy fire from the throne room of grace, God? Would you fill them with everything that they need and more, God? For you know the true depths and the cries of their heart. And Lord, would you pour out your spirit in abundant measure that there would be an open heaven above them, that whatever they need, whenever they need it, there would be open access to the throne room of grace, that they would just be able to cry cry out upon the name of Jesus and you would respond, here I am, God. That you would say, here I am, because you know that these are faithful servants to you, ones who have given themselves over in love. And so would you bless Henrietta and Rick and would you, um, yeah, just prepare our hearts for the word that is to come, that the word would rest, would rest in good soil in our hearts. And we just leave it over to you, God. Get us ready and let your kingdom come. Thank you, Ash. We love you too. Gauss was brought up as a Muslim. Uh, She became a Christian through her husband. And I met her. She was the leader at a Christian youth conference I attended in Bangladesh in 2019. And she told me that when her mother and sisters discovered that she had married her husband in a church, they had taken her and tied her by her hair. She had black hair, waist-long hair. They tied her by her hair to the veranda in the family home and they got bamboo canes and they beat her. They beat her so badly, she could hardly stand. And her dad came out on the veranda and saw what was happening and and couldn't bear to see her in so much pain. And Gauss told me that he said, why don't you just kill her? You know, can't see her in so much pain. Finally, it was her father who went into the kitchen, took a kitchen knife out of the drawer, came out onto the veranda and cut Gauss's hair at the nape of her neck and set her free. It took her two or three days to recover. She couldn't stand. She had to stay at her parents' home in bed. And then a friend helped her escape back to the city. She and her husband now run a Bible college in Bangladesh. And they run a safe house 
for young people from Muslim backgrounds who have become Christians. She also runs a tailoring training service where she trains women up, women who might have lost their husbands, who've had to become the main breadwinner. She trains them up in tailoring so that they can earn a livelihood. Now, I'd always wondered what Jesus meant when he said, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. And a person's enemies will be the members of their own household. I never knew what that meant. I always thought, oh, maybe, maybe you just piss your parents off a bit when you become a Christian. I had no idea that families would want to kill people who became Christian. If a Muslim converts to Christianity, it brings huge shame and dishonor on the family. And since hearing Gauss's story, I've heard so many stories of Muslim background believers who have had to escape their families to stay alive. At the end of that youth conference in Bangladesh, we were asked to pray with the young people. And one young man said, please, will you pray for me? Tomorrow, I'm going on the bus back to my village. And in the village, there are only five Christians. And if our neighbors knew we were Christians, they would kill us. He was only 18. In Matthew 10, Matthew describes how Jesus sent him and the other disciples out. And uh, it's quite a detailed description. He sent them out to do the work they'd seen Jesus doing. So he said to them, here's the task. Proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. And then he told them, exactly what they could expect in return. And I'm just going to read you what he said. This is Matthew 10, starting at verse 16. He said to the 12 disciples, and bear in mind Matthew was there, so this is an eyewitness account. Jesus said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. 
I tell you the truth, you won't finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. He said, a student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him or her before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Every year for the last 30 years, Open Doors has done research into the persecution of Christians around the world. As a result of that research, we produce what we call the World Watch List, which is the list of the 50 most dangerous countries to be a Christian. And I brought some of the little booklets that describe the top 10. Um, They're on the table outside. Please take one if you're interested. This year's research shows that 360 million Christians around the world experience high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. 360 million. That's six times the population of the UK. And we reckon that's about one in seven of us, one in seven, high levels of persecution and discrimination. And the types of persecution and discrimination that we see are exactly what Jesus prophesied to the disciples would happen to them. We see parents persecuting their children and vice versa. One of the first stories I heard when I came to Open Doors was of a woman in Saudi Arabia, again from a Muslim family. She'd become a Christian and her family had chained her to a radiator in the family house. Jesus said, 
we would be persecuted by local councillors, local councils, and secular authorities by governors and kings. I was recently on a trip um, out to the field. I, I'm afraid I can't tell you which country it was for security reasons, but it has an authoritarian government and it's a Muslim majority country. And some parts of the church are recognized by the government there, um, the Russian Orthodox Church, for example. But house churches and churches that are not established are not recognized. And the government hates anybody who could disrupt the status quo, who deviates from the prevailing culture. And our host told us that he'd recently, just a few weeks ago, been in the south of the country looking to see what were the needs of the Christians down there, just trying to find out what help he could give to Christians. And he was walking through the marketplace, and as he walked along, a hand gripped his arm. And he heard this voice, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm here for humanitarian reasons. I work for a humanitarian agency and I'm looking to see what the needs are. And the man melted away into the crowd. And uh, I said to our host, were you frightened? He said, yes. He said, yes, I was very frightened. He said, these people, these secret police, they can take you into custody for two days at least. Nobody knows where you are. Nobody knows what's happening to you. There are so many of our brothers and sisters who spend their lives looking over their shoulders to see whether or not they're being followed. That's what Jesus was talking about. You'll come before local councillors, governors, and kings. It's even worse when the authoritarianism is linked with dictatorial paranoia. So North Korea is the most dangerous country in the world for Christians. It's been number one on the world watch list for more than 20 years. Stephen and I have talked about this often. In North Korea, it is absolutely forbidden to worship anyone other than Kim Jong-un, the supreme leader, and his predecessors. If you are found in possession of a Bible, not just you, but your entire family will be thrown into an internment camp where you'll experience forced labor, forced re-education, starvation, torture and possibly execution. We reckon there are 400,000 Christians in North Korea and about 70,000 of them are in these internment camps. The, um, the extraordinary thing is that even in these internment camps, the gospel is preached uh, a dear friend, Hei Wu, who's been for lunch at our house, was in one of these internment camps for three years, and she had the courage to share the good news of Jesus with some of the people there. 
and um, they used to meet together in the toilets. There were five of them. They would meet together in the toilets because it was so disgusting. It was the only place the guards would not go. And Hebu said they would whisper their worship like this. They would just whisper like this. I don't know how we'd cope with that at Catch the Fire, actually. I was thinking this morning, given the volume of our worship, I think we'd struggle to whisper. But it's quite a thought, isn't it? How would we worship if anyone who heard us outside, and particularly the police, could raid the church? How would we worship? We'd whisper, wouldn't we? So uh, local councils, secular authorities. Jesus also mentioned persecution from the religious authorities and religious extremists. He told the disciples they would be flogged in the synagogues. They would be flogged in the name of religion. And we know that's exactly what happened to them. And that's exactly what's happening to our brothers and sisters now. Where Christians are in the minority... Life is extremely difficult for them. India is actually, India's constitution actually proclaims it as a secular state. It actually says people of all religions will be able to live here peacefully. But in fact, what has been happening is that far-right extremists, Hindutva extremists, have been claiming that to be Indian, you must be Hindu. And so they're trying to eradicate all other Christians from the country. And they are literally trying to um, force Christians and Muslims in particular to leave the country. They're being driven out of their villages. Churches are being burnt. Pastors are being killed. People are losing their jobs. Very difficult situation, and it's getting worse. And we see a proliferation of anti-blasphemy and anti-conversion laws, which are now in 11 states across India. And they're spreading. And they're used against Christians, claiming that Christians are paying people money to convert to Christianity. We're seeing religious extremism as well, raging across West Africa. It started in Nigeria with Boko Haram and Fulani militants attacking villages, systematically attacking Christian homes, killing pastors, burning children, uh, sorry, burning churches, abducting women and girls who are often raped, often forced into marriage with one of the Islamic warriors. Uh, it is a systematic attempt to completely eradicate Christianity. Um, and it's spreading like wildfire from Nigeria across the whole of West Africa. Uh, some of you will have heard of Leah Sharibu, who was kidnapped with 100 other girls from her boarding school in northern Nigeria five years ago. All the other girls were released... But Leah was told, if you renounce Jesus, you can go home, you can go free if you renounce him. And she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it. She did not renounce Jesus. Five years later, she's still held. Boko Haram have said they will keep her as a slave for life. We don't know what has happened to her. There are all sorts of rumors. Just before lockdown, 
I met Rebecca, Leah's mum. And I said to her, do you know what's happened to Leah? She said, every day we hear rumours. Every day we don't know if it's true. We don't know what's happening. And she said, President Buhari had personally promised her she would free, he would free Leah, and he'd done nothing. And that's one of the huge challenges that uh, the extremists can attack with impunity. Often the police collude with the extremists. So even if Christians go to the police, they often find that they, they change from being the victims to being accused of being the perpetrators of the violence. So the whole system works against them. Now look, Jesus said this would happen. He is very clear. He said, no servant is above their master. And he, he told the disciples, didn't he? If they persecuted me, if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. Last week, we celebrated Easter. Every Easter, we remember that Jesus himself was persecuted by the Jewish authorities and the secular authorities, working in collusion with each other. He was falsely accused and falsely convicted under anti-blasphemy laws. 2,000 years later, we're still seeing anti-blasphemy laws used against us. And he was executed, as many of our brothers and sisters are. But here's the thing, and we all know this, Easter does not end there, does it? Does not end with execution, does not end with Jesus dying on the cross. Because Jesus rose again. The disciples didn't get it. The disciples thought this was total disaster, total failure. They were in total despair. They'd been told, they just hadn't heard, they had not understood. But through what looked like total disaster, God brought the biggest victory the world has ever seen. And that's the point about persecution. The situation for our brothers and sisters is absolutely desperate. No question. Sometimes I'm asked, you know, does it keep you awake at night? Yes, it does, if I'm honest, it does. Horrendous. But it's also how God triumphs over evil. God brings the victory through persecution. It's not a mistake. The stories are horrendous, but there is extraordinary hope in the way our brothers and sisters stand firm. And they still choose Jesus, despite everything they face. You know, when the Taliban took over in Afghanistan, we asked our Christian brothers and sisters there, how can we pray for you? We knew the Taliban were hunting them door to door, and they were killing Christian men on the spot, and they were raping Christian women or forcing them to marry Taliban warriors. And so we said to them, how can we pray? How can we pray? Do you know what they said? Of all they could have asked for, they said, pray that we remain faithful. 
pray that we remain faithful. That was their request. Our brothers and sisters have found the pearl of great price and they are not going to let it go. They are literally willing to lose every person and everything they hold dear in order to hang on to Jesus. I um, was talking to a colleague this week and she said she'd been talking to a man who had experienced severe persecution and she'd said to him, you know, it's so inspiring to us in the UK to hear how you choose to cling to your faith despite everything you face. And this guy looked her in the eye and he said, have you met Jesus? Have you met him? Because once you've met him, you're never going to let him go. He's worth everything. That's what they show us. In Revelation 12, it says this. This is Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Persecution is a fight to the death. And the church is growing as a result of persecution. It's really extraordinary. When I was on this trip recently, um, our host was talking about they're seeing really miraculous healings, like Muslims are asking him to deliver family members from demons. Um, they're seeing people completely paralyzed, you know, quadriplegics healed. They saw a man with stage four throat cancer healed. But the extraordinary thing is people are not coming to faith in Jesus. It's like the 10 lepers, you know, who Jesus healed and only one came back and fell at his feet. They're not seeing people come to faith. I said to him, what's that about? What do you think would make the difference? He said, the church should be much bigger than it is. It should be growing much faster than it is. I said to him, what would help? What would make the difference? And he said to me, persecution. He said, I believe that if the church is more persecuted, the church will grow. And we hear these incredible stories. One, quickly, one story about Nigeria. Northern Nigeria, a man, let's call him Peter, saw what Boko Haram was doing. He was a Muslim. He saw what Boko Haram was doing, bombing churches, killing pastors, abducting the women. But what he absolutely couldn't get over was how the Christians responded. They actually prayed for the people 
who were persecuting them. He just couldn't believe it. He could not believe that they didn't fight back. And he said, what sort of people are these people? He was just like, what? And so he started to creep into the back of church to try to find out what was going on. And after a couple of years, he decided that Jesus is the way. And he himself became a Christian. And we hear these stories over and over and over again. God is building his church. And the gates of hell are not, not prevailing against it. Now, here's the thing. You may be thinking, great. It's God's plan. Praise God. These are amazing stories. Come on, Lord, do your thing. Nothing to do with me. Yeah? You may be thinking, all a long way away. Nigeria's a long way away. North Korea's a long way away. Yeah. But we cannot just stand by and watch. I'll tell you why. There are two compelling reasons why. First of all, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ and they are in pain they are in pain we're all part of the body of Christ you know Paul told the Corinthians if one part of the body suffers every part suffers with it I was praying about this the other day because um, it's difficult sometimes to understand why why don't we why, why don't we get that? Why does it feel so separate to us? I was reminded of a story about a man called Paul Brand who worked with lepers in India many years ago. And um, there was this myth that leprosy causes limbs to fall off people. And he knew that wasn't the case. He knew what was actually happening was people's limbs were getting paralyzed. The nerve endings weren't working. And so people were injuring themselves and not realizing, and therefore they were damaging themselves because they just couldn't feel it. And there was one group in particular, he just couldn't understand. Every morning, they would come into the clinic with parts of their fingers and toes missing. He couldn't work out what was going on. And so they sent somebody to watch these people for 24 hours to be with them round the clock to see what was happening. And what was happening was, when they were asleep at night, rats were coming into their bedroom and were sniffing around the beds. And because the people didn't wake up and couldn't feel what was going on, they literally, the rats were eating the end of their fingers and their toes. But they couldn't feel it. Now, I think the Lord was showing me that because we need to ask him to resensitize us, to feel the pain of our brothers and sisters. We need to feel their pain as if it's our own. And secondly, we need to care because we want to see people come to know Jesus, don't we? We pray the whole time, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God's church is his method for that happening. We're his method for that happening. His church around the world is his method for that happening. If the church is destroyed, how is that possible? We need to strengthen the church where it's most at risk 
And that's actually what started Open Doors. Our founder, Brother Andrew, back in the late 1950s, was praying and he felt convicted by a verse in Revelation 3. And it says this, wake up, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die because your works are incomplete in the sight of your God. And he started to smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, And the rest is history. So, we need to care. And we need to stand with our brothers and sisters. And coming into land now, there are two things in particular I think we can do. The first is pray. Look, my church family, this is a spiritual battle and we have to fight it with spiritual weapons and we must pray. And first, to pray, we have to be aware of what's going on. I brought a few postcards with me. If you want to know more and to be on a mailing list, to be told how to pray with the persecuted church on a regular basis, I just put them outside. Fill one of these out and just drop it to me. Give it to me. And of course, we can support them financially. You'd expect me to say that. But actually, so many of them lose their jobs because of their faith. Or women lose their husbands because they've been murdered. And therefore, women have to become the main breadwinners. We see people coming to faith with miraculous visions of the Lord. And then others come to faith and they suddenly find they have to lead a church when they've only known Jesus themselves for two months. So we're doing leadership training. We're doing discipleship training. We're helping kids understand what's happening to them, what the Bible really says so they can withstand the bullying in the playground. So we can pray, we can support financially. Can I finish with one more story? Um, Sometimes we wonder, don't we, if our prayers make any difference. Do you have that experience, particularly when you're praying for the really big stuff? or the stuff that's happening in some other part of the world. And, you know, it can feel, can't it, like we're, we're praying out of obedience, we're sending the prayers out there. Do they make any difference? Well, listen to this. Brother Andrew died last autumn, and he used to say that our prayers go where we cannot. And um, back in the 1970s, while he was studying in Moscow, a man called Alexander Ogorodnikov led an underground Christian student group. And as a result of that, he was sentenced to prison for crimes against the Soviet Union. And he was sent to a labor camp in northern Siberia. He was there for nine years. Um, Same sort of conditions as we see in North Korea today. Anyway, he wrote this. One night, I was thrown into a cell with a broken window. The guards were determined to do an experiment and freeze me. Later, they would say, he broke the window in the cell and died of cold. I felt despair. I thought to myself, has God really left me? Am I really forgotten and neglected? Have my years of suffering been in vain? In my despair, I began to pray. 
I usually prayed silently, but this time I cried out to God. I appealed to God out loud. God, have you left me? My cries were pouring from my heart. I was in utter despair. At the same time this was happening, in Southeast Asia, in the Philippines, a woman woke during the night. She said this, one night I had a dream and I was told to pray for a man called Alexander. I had no idea who Alexander was, but I prayed and then I told others in my church to pray. Back in his freezing cell in Siberia, Alexander experienced something amazing. He said, I suddenly felt a palpable physical warmth, not the kind that comes from a heater, but like when a mother draws her child close. I felt a wonderful soothing peace and warmth. I felt a caring hand touching my shoulder. I actually felt it. This gesture represented the words, you are not alone. You are not abandoned. We are seeing your suffering. In the morning, my executioners couldn't believe I was still alive and that my temperature was the same as a normal healthy person. I heard the doctor say to my captors, this is impossible. We can't explain it. Six months later, the family in the Philippines read about Alexander in an Open Doors magazine. He was later released. Thank you so much, Henrietta, for coming and sharing the truth um, about our brothers and sisters around the world. And I, it's, it's sometimes really difficult to come up after a message like that because we all love an encouraging word. We all love it when it's, it's drawing us in and it's about us and it's about good things of God and all of that. And we can get excited about it. But, you know, what do we do when we hear a sobering word, a sobering truth about the reality of what our brothers and sisters are, are living out there in the world? What do we do with that? How do we respond to that? And that can seem either really strange because we, we can't get hold of it because it's not our experience and we don't quite have the understanding to because we've not lived it or you know do we think do really do our prayers do enough really is is what we pray gonna help and affect and I want I want to encourage you today I want to stir you guys right now because actually what Henrietta has done is she's she has been that open door in this message where she has been able to release to us the reality of what our brothers and sisters are living in the world out there and so we need to grab hold of that truth right now in this moment and I want to ask you guys just to stand with me right now I don't want to lose an opportunity and for lucky I know if you want to come out and pray as well then you can and um, anyone else you, you feel led to but I just want to I want to start I want to encourage you in this time we're gonna we're gonna open our mouths and we are gonna stand and we are gonna release our prayers because what we need right now is not tea and biscuit prayers as Timmy says we need prayers that are gonna be be mountain moving ones ones that are gonna bring, bring breakthrough and triumph and that we are gonna set our spirit behind and that we are gonna release to the nations where they need to see the hand of God move where our brothers and sisters need to know that God is with them in that place and that they can 
should see breakthrough. As we cry out for breakthrough in our own lives here, that we can see breakthrough that they need in their lives over there. So Lord, I ask right now, why don't you just release your prayers as we pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would come and move like you you have never moved before, God. We ask and we cry out on the behalf of our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church where they where they are living in in places where they where their lives are literally on the line for you, God, where, where they don't know if they're going to be, be taken into prison, where they're going to be um, held in bondage, where they are going to have literal change put around them, God. We ask that you would come and move in might there, that you would, that you would go where our prayers, can, uh, our prayers would go where we cannot. Lord, right now, we lift it up to you. And I loved it when Henrietta said that, Lord, our prayers have weight. Our prayers have presence, God. And so right now, just as, as that lady prayed in the night for Alexander, God, we pray for the people, God. We pray for those in, South, um, in North Korea. We pray for those in Saudi Arabia. We pray for those under Muslim reign, God, where, where your presence is, 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 is being crushed, where the people are being crushed. I thank you, Lord, that you say that we will not be crushed, that your people will not be crushed, that they will not be abandoned, that they will not be destroyed, because that is the promise that you have laid down. And as we were crying out before in worship that you would be the firm foundation, Lord, I ask that you would be the firm foundation for them, God, that they would know the solid rock on which they stand is Jesus Christ, that you are the truth of which they have literally laid down their lives, God, for you to see a relationship with you and to see others come to know you. And so, God, right now, I ask that you would lift them up and that you would set their feet upon you, that you would establish them, that you would establish the church, that you would establish your people, that you would establish your presence in the places where there is persecution, God. And Lord, I ask that you would come and that even you would awaken us, God, to the reality of the persecuted church and that we would have prayers that would cause a shift and the release of your presence. God, as we pray for them, we pray for us as well, that we would not be sleeping, that we would we would cry out just as Brother Andrew did, awake, wake up, wake up, wake up, that it is time to wake up in this place, that we would no longer sleep, but we would contend for our brothers and sisters out there, that they would know that they are not alone, that in the spirit that we stand with them and we stand firm with them and that we would rise up in this place, that we would stand in partnership with them and that we would even day and night cry out for them, God, that in the days that they would be upon our heart, in the night you would put upon our dreams, God, that we would not be, that we would not be sleeping towards them, God, but that we would rise up to hold them up as 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 Moses has his arms lifted up, that we would stand with them in prayer in the spirit and we would rise up and we would say that you are going to be okay, that we stand with you, we stand for you and that God is going to break through for you. We know who he is and you know who he is. And so Lord, right now we ask that you would release a twofold prayer in this place. One, for our brothers and sisters, that we would see them triumph in victory, God, that we would see the release of the, them from jails, God, and from persecution and that they would literally be the captives set free, but one for us, God, that we no longer would sleep, that we no longer would be in complacency and lethargy, but you would put a stoking coal within us that would burn, God, burn for the truth uh, that, we, that we need to rise up. We need to have a voice. We need to pray like we have never prayed before to see your freedom and your truth prevail, oh God. 
Amen. Yes, Lord. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for what you are doing already. I thank you as well, Lord God, even as, I'm, as I heard these testimonies, it reminded me of my teenage years when I saw Christians persecuted. And I saw them, oh Lord God, not lifting up their finger. And they gave their, and, and, and just kept praying for the Muslims. And that turned me from a Muslim to a Christian. And I pray for as many that are going through the same thing today. That sees, oh Lord God, all these sufferings. And see the light of the Christian shining. Father, I pray today, my God, that this will turn their lives around. I pray, my God, that their eyes will not be blind. That the scales of their eyes will drop in the name of Jesus. As they see your light, we say, Lord God, we pray for all our Christian brothers and sisters out there. That they will be strong. They will not give in. They will have an encounter with you. Lord Jesus, we pray that for an encounter, that we keep them strong. I pray, my God, that they will not give in, they will not give up. In the name of Jesus, and I pray their lights will shine for all men to see, and men will run to the kingdom and ask them, what shall I do to be saved? In the name of Jesus. Father, we also pray for those who have been healed but not given their life to Jesus publicly. And I remember again for a mission we went for, and this man said, I'm a Christian, but I cannot say it out because I don't want to be killed. And Father, we pray for those ones that have given their life but cannot say it out. We say, Lord God, strengthen them, uphold them. Father, do not let them give up their faith. Father, oh God, do not let them bow to idols, but let them lift their head up to you. Lift their eyes up to the hills where their help come from. Let their help come from you. Let them be strong. Make them strong. Make them strong. We say, Lord God, let strength arise in them. In the name of Jesus. Father, we cover them and their household with the blood. We pray, Lord God, that the fact that their parents are Christians will not make the children deny and say, I don't want to go through this offering and I don't want to know Christ. We pray that this will draw them. As for them and their household, may they serve the Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you because you're always willing to hear us. Lord, we come with a heart of repentance, we as a body. Lord, we repent of indifference to people's suffering. We repent of complacency, Lord, of not showing attention that they deserve. Father, Lord, as a church, have mercy upon us, Lord. Please, Lord, forgive us in the name of Jesus. Cleanse our heart once again with Jesus' precious blood. Father, you said in your word, Lord, that uh, uh, in Revelation 12, 11, that we are overcomers that we overcome. But you ended by saying that we should remain faithful. So, Father, this afternoon, Lord, we commit our hearts to you once again. Holy Spirit, possess our soul once again in Jesus' name. We are your children. We are your servants. Father God, we make a declaration this afternoon. We will remain faithful in the face of persecution in one shape or form. We shall stand strong by the help of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Father, in the, in the book of Acts, Lord, when Peter was kept in prison, Lord, the church prayed for Peter and you sent an angel to set him free. Father, this afternoon we declare, Cash the Fire London is a church that will pray for the persecuted church in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In every time, Lord, we will pray. Lord, you also gave us instruction in Luke chapter 18. You said, Lord, men ought to pray and not to faint. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, we will not faint.
strength in Jesus' name. Lord, because we're releasing divine strength into our being to pray for persecuted Christians and even for ourselves in the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, we now come into your hand. Our fellow brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. Father, in the days of Apostle Paul, one who was kept in prison, Lord, at midnight they raised praises and hymns to you. And Lord, you caused an earthquake to happen in the prison and all the prison doors were open. Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, they will not give in, they will not give up in Jesus' name because greater is he the Holy Ghost in their life, Lord, and they will keep pressing in in Jesus' name. Father, Lord, I remembered in my personal example when I was feeling weak one day, you sent someone in Switzerland and the person sent me a message saying, Timmy, I'm praying for you and I received strength at that hour. Father, let it be so for persecuted Christians that they will know in Jesus' name that you raise up intercessors to pray for them in the name of Jesus. Father, Lord, we are praying church and we remain faithful, Lord, to the assignment to pray for one another and for persecuted Christians in the name of Jesus. We shall not give in, we shall not give up, but we'll keep praying with the help of the Holy Ghost. Father, thank you because our prayers will do wonders. Our prayer will go far than places we cannot touch or reach in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, finally, baptize each and every one of us. Father God, with the grace of prayer and intercession, with a willingness to pray, because God is willing to hear and do wonders. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, come on. We thank you, God, in this place that you are on the move, that nothing can stop the Lord Almighty, that you are our God. And so, Lord, would we have courage and boldness as we pray and as we, as we continue to pray for the persecuted church? And you want to pray as well? Amen. <laughs> come on. So, yeah, Lord, I, I just want to release as well. There was something that Henrietta said about learning about the joy of worshipping in a whisper. And, Lord, I think there was something really beautiful about that. There, that there is something really important that actually as we, as we go about our lives, would we learn about the truth, about it, what the joy is to, to worship you in a whisper that says, Do you know what, I will, I will give everything just to still to worship you. I will give everything just to come and still worship you. And it may not look like much, but it is, all, it is everything that I have that I will come before you and the joy just to worship and adore you. And so, Lord, I ask that that would be a reality within us, that we would, that we would lay aside the things that have come to try and distract us from worshipping you and that we would truly come to know what it looks like just to, just to worship you in that whisper, that joy of just coming to utter your name, just placing it upon our lips and praising you evermore. In Jesus' name we pray. So thank you everybody for coming today. Thank you for your prayers. Um, as Henrietta said, they've got... Um, leaflets and stuff out there. Um, if you want to um, grab some, please do. Um, I know uh, myself and Dan um, have signed up for the emails and they are really good. They're really good at um, helping you understand where it is that you should be praying and what you should be praying into and just help guiding that. So I just want to encourage you to pick it up as you go.